Hey everybody, this is Derwin from the Blanket Fortress of Solitude. And with me today is a veteran, uh, a forever soldier for life, and an artist in his own right, Jose Belen. Belen, thanks for joining me. Thank you, brother, for having me. Um, I'm really excited to uh, see what dialogue we can you know, come up with and hopefully reach some folks with it. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to kind of just get your story. Um, okay. I, I, lo- I love having people on here, people that, you know, I, I, I would never, you know, I'm, I'm in Indiana and I think you're in Florida, right? Yeah, in Orlando. It, it, so it would, it, it's incredible that our paths are crossing and I'm glad that they are. Yeah. Um, so uh, where are you from, sir? You're from Florida? Uh, originally from uh, New York, upstate New York. A small wow. town called Amsterdam. I was born in uh, New York City in Manhattan, and then uh, my family moved upstate. So I grew up right outside of Albany, the tri-state kind of area, tri-city area. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I. Gosh, you know, I've been to both Florida and Manhattan. They're two very different places. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here 15 years now. It's just a little bit less chaotic, and uh, you know, kind of <laughs> made uh, made it my adopted home. Yeah, uh, Manhattan on a Monday afternoon is insane <laughs> compared to Indiana. There you uh, go. Um, so what, uh, how long yeah. were you in Manhattan for? All right, so, you know, I uh, was born in, in 82, so I'm going to date myself. I'm about to be 41. So I um, was in New York uh, from birth up until I, yeah, end of high school, 01. I graduated high school June 2001. Um, and oh, then, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was in uh, basic training by January '02, and in Germany by by June of '02. So I was in New York um, pretty much from birth. My family's from Puerto Rico, so I you know spent summers over there. Sure. But um, you know, I graduated from Amsterdam High School in, in 2001 uh, in June, and then 9/11 happened right uh, a few months after that. So were you in the city when 9/11 happened? No, no. So I was raised in upstate New York, right? So right. I was, um, you know, more like a three-hour drive from the city, you know, but uh, I watched it live on television. Yeah. I, I seen it kind of go down and my recruiter called me a few minutes later and was like, <laughs> you better get ready for fucking war. <laughs> it is going down, bro. So let's, yeah. So that's why this is kind of like, you know, I kind of rep that. 9-11 GWAT generation that was like let's fucking do this yeah yeah no I I think I'm I'm 35 36 I, I forgot half the time I'm a couple years younger than you but I was in, maybe a freshman in high school when it happened and I remember you know that's right around 01 is right when kids are getting cell phones and then it was like Everyone thought that, you know, we were invaded by the Chinese and New York City was good. Uh, we, we're hearing all these rumors and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty, pretty cool to be talking, you know, to someone who, you know, obviously served, but came in after, um, you know, we we went in there at that time. And yeah. it just shows a generational respect amongst the ranks, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I came in in 06. Uh, I was a, uh, a shiftless pothead going nowhere very fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, right. I, you know, I, I did some cool stuff, but I always try to be real upfront with people. I was like, yeah, it's probably either the army or a homeless shelter for me. So, yeah. you know, everything kind of worked out. But, 
Um, okay, so you're in basic training, probably. So the Afghan invasion was 02, and I want to say the Iraq invasion was 03. Yeah. So you were probably spooled up in Germany for the Iraq invasion. Is that is that the yeah. right time frame? Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, kind of knew the the drums of war. You know, we're we're sounding a little bit. Um, and so while we were, I was with the First Armored Division. Um, and we were primarily trained for, you know, uh, Arctic warfare, winter warfare type stuff. Um, you know, they, they so you did. went to the desert. So they were like, "Hey guys, surprise! You know, you're also <laughs> versatile as fuck. Uh, we're taking you from an arty unit to train with special forces and molding you in, into infantry because you're going to be doing more infantry ops when we send you to 51 West in Baghdad to secure, you know, the city and also hunt, you know, for Saddam and, and his peeps. So." Yeah, that's sure. <laughs> like, all right. I I got a funny story about it. It sort of relates. So in 2006, I got issued cold weather boots, right? The, the ACU yeah. cold weather boots. However, at that point, it wasn't if you deployed, but when and how many times to the desert. Sure. So I'm like, well, you know, I and I spent 15 years and I might have worn my cold weather boots twice. Yeah. Because if I wasn't in Iraq, I was in Texas or Georgia or Virginia. Yeah. And so my feet flattened out. Like when they issued them to me, they were like three sizes too big in 2006. My feet got so flat that Mm. now they fit just perfectly. So I have like a brand new pair of boots. There it is. The, the gift that keeps on giving. Cool. The gift that keeps on giving. Okay, but back to you, sir. So, mm-hmm. you were with the first wave in Iraq. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, we uh, we went down, uh, you know, spring 2003, and we were there until uh, July 2004. So, we, you know, were uh, part of that spearhead and, you know, just really, you know, kind of look back at those days as... Uh, you know, for us within the unit and the division, and you know, it's just like a unique time. And I'm grateful to have been a part of that. You know, for all the right reasons. You know, taking yeah. all the political bullshit out. You know that it really is about the guy that's you know in front of you, behind you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, like I, I, I might have told you on your show, like I in '09, uh, I they. I was in a room and a sergeant major was asking for hands, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you want to go to Iraq, raise your hand and I'll put you on the next flight. And I'll, all I heard was the opening of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. I was, it was, it was this moment I had this kinship with soldiers that had been asked to go throughout the centuries, throughout the generations. Yeah. And it was, it was a wonderful moment. Also, I will caveat in 2009, I was paying attention to the news. And I'm like, you know, Iraq's pretty fucking calm right now. So yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to go, <laughs> 2009 was the time to do it. Yeah. But, um, so you spent what, 18 months that range? Is that right? Uh, like 14, 15. Um, you know, I, I say 14. Some of the guys from you say 15. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a good amount of time, you know. But when you sign up for it and and you're yeah built for it, it's like, well, whatever. Yeah, 
and when you're you know 22 it's mm-hmm. gosh all that stuff's a lot easier isn't it well, well i turned 21 and 22 down there i had two fucking birthdays my 21st birthday i was you know out in the desert with some green berets doing some cqb training yeah and then a year later on my 22nd we were doing uh, operation down there uh in Atamiya by the abu hanifa mosque uh, it was a major operation and I, fucking full moon we were just <laughs> looking up it just turned midnight and i'm 50 cal gunning you know, and I'm like, happy birthday, motherfucker. <laughs> 22. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, yeah. Good time. Oh, some 22-year-olds are like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Maybe I'll go to grad <laughs> school. Maybe I'll just, you know, I don't even know, man. But I'm still going to live with mom and dad. Oh, it's, you know, and and it took me a while to get come to peace with that, knowing guys under 25 looking so directionless and but i'm like yeah because they've got their they there's enough resources in the family for them to take an extra 10 years to grow up or whatever yeah and you know that's i mean it would have been nice you know (laughs) when i was 18 when i was like 18 they just like open the door and kicked me right in the ass out which god bless them that's the best thing my parents ever did for me was said hey get the fuck out go to the army right now you know what it for whatever you know we we can we can have our opinions about the army and the service yeah you know but for some people um it does become the most beautiful and the most you know worst thing at the same time like a double-edged sword but i i am grateful every fucking day for for the opportunity to have served this country i don't i don't regret it um i think it's a it's an honor uh it's a privilege now to to, you know um raise your right hand and and then follow through right with with what you said you were gonna do yeah you're of that guys and kudos to you man you know what i'm saying yeah i um yeah i've i mean how, how how many years did you serve? I did those three years of active, um, and yeah. while I was downrange, so my my dream was to go SF. Sure. And you know, while I was downrange, my reenlistment window opened up, and I'll never forget Sergeant Mahoney. You know, came over to me, and, and he's like, "Brother, look, you know, the Army, you know, is honored to offer you, you know, the opportunity to, you know, reclass and, and try out." Uh, for SF with the station of duty choice and I'll never forget I was like I want to go to fucking Hawaii he's like there's a group out there I'm like you got to be kidding me (laughs) if you want Hawaii you got it man you earned it you know the army you know obviously like you do work out there man like it's just kind of like it is what it is you know what I'm saying and so there was like a two-week period uh between when I like gave like the verbal like yeah let's do this um to then actually the more formal ceremony and, and that like two week period man some savage fighting you know uh happened uh sure. lost like i was like dude i survived these two birthdays you know what i'm saying like i'm calculating all of this stuff yeah and it's like as much as i just want to like just kind of like be that nomad you know what i'm saying i was 22 years old no wife no kids you know my parents you know, we're kind of on, obviously on their own. My brother, he was 10 years old, but, you know, sure. parents were taking care of him. That it was just like, do I just do this and operate, right, for the rest of my life? Or do I say, you know what? 
me cash in this hand. I did my job at a yeah. high ass level. I was part, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, like the guys were at the unit. No. Right. And so like when you're not like tripping off your ego or any of that stuff and you're like, well, you know, I'm not a betting man, <laughs> but maybe I should just say, you know what guys, I did what I did. I, I told you I'd give you this amount of time and that amount of time, you know, I gave you everything and beyond of me and I'm just going to hang it up. You know, and... there's nothing wrong with walking away from the table with the winning hand. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I like, like I, I never experienced anything remotely close to what you guys went through on the first wave. I was like the eighth wave or something. But to, I, you know, after a while, you, I, 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 if I'm putting myself in your shoes, I would have to think, you know, I've been lucky, mm-hmm. you know, like it's. It, well, dude, you watch your brothers get killed out there, dude. You, you, you can't save them, right? You carry yeah. their blood. You fucking, you know, you're burning their bloodstained seats, right? You're carrying, yeah. you're carrying babies dying on you closing the eyes of these children right you're going you're you're a fucking warrior man yeah right like that's what warriors do right like well plumbing yeah. fucking like fix shit right like and do plumbing stuff like warriors war right yeah. and, and in that environment all these things that we know are part of our job sure and you know the same way i was able to quote unquote kind of walk away from that I mm. still, that was still something that burned in me. It was an affliction that took me nearly to uh, go back, you know, in 2016. I, I called the guard special forces recruiter <laughs> behind my wife's back, you know, because I, I, I always felt guilty that, like, dude, there's still work to do, right? My daughter's yeah. like two years old. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I'm not made for corporate world. You know, I want to serve. I still want to do, you know, work. And, um, you know, I applied for Triple Canopy, which is Blackwater at the same time. And Triple Canopy was like, well, you can't do both. You can't, you know, do, you know, DOD work through us, but then go SF through, you know, you got to pick one or the other. And so long story short, you know, I, you know, chose to kind of go that DOD route. Um, You know, and they were not happy with me when on the SF-86 they asked if I had ever consumed cannabis in the last seven years. Oh. And, and of course, they're obviously going to polygraph stuff. I'm like, well, and it said, explain why. So I was like, well, I will explain why. I wanted to get high. I'm like, <laughs> well, I obviously, like, you know, and I was going for PSD, right? I was going back to Baghdad, right? To go yeah. do, to do ops down range. I was like, all right, great. I had a 249, you know, M4, like all this. Get it up, you know, and, um, they within 24 hours of me submitting that terminated me and told me i was barred from uh, what do you call it applying for dod work for six years uh, because while it's still it's it was medicinally available and all that stuff it's still federally and they they had zero tolerance that sucks man like it, it's it's five minutes from once they figure out how to tax it properly they're gonna legalize they it. changed that law a few years ago now if like if you know it was just timing but it's just like these are things that warriors right when they they leave the battlefield right the battlefield doesn't leave the warrior man yeah you know like our soul is like you know like there right and part of us 
can't you can't turn off you know those adrenaline rushes right you talk about you know that first wave right there when we were you know down range it was just you know i remember operation iron hammer which we we like raided hundreds i think possibly into the thousands of homes and buildings it just it was just savage right that when you're when your adrenaline is is at this level for almost two years sure great and you're used to just these crazy ops right that dying is not a factor fear is not a factor right none of those things you're just going to work so you're just raiding house to house to house and everything well yeah i mean it was just well i mean you're looking for you're looking for terrorist stuff i get that totally it's like it's like what a time to be alive right it was really like what a sight to see if you were in baghdad in 03 you know it was just like you know that's why kind of nate and i talked about what we talked about right um on the podcast that you know, we at, at a young age, at, you know, part of this unit um, had a large responsibility and we, we handled it for the most part, the soldiers with, um, you know, honor, man. But sure. when, when we come back home to quote unquote civilian life and you're used to, <laughs> you know, good day is like, you know, like when shit is blowing up for you, right? <laughs> when shit is not blowing up, it's like, well, what the, come on. I, like, I remember <laughs> us having those conversations like, can we fight already? Like, what? Why? Why is it so quiet? <laughs> you come back here and your buddies want to go fishing and, and go do peaceful stuff. You're like, well, you know, give me like a whole case of Red Bull and then another one of Monster after that because I'm trying to to raise that adrenaline back up, right? So, so give you like a Bowie knife and go after a bear, or like a yeah, moose or like, something. All right, yeah, like, all right, let's you know do that. And then, you know, Joe Rogan needs to start a summer camp for guys like you. Hey, it's can you imagine those Olympics. You know what I'm I, saying? I, 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 I don't think I would want to participate in the summer camp because I got a really bad back. But I would love to just like hang out at that summer camp for a day yeah. and just watch you guys like fist fight bears and stuff. That'd be amazing. And, and you know what, man? Like, it, it, it's crazy to say there is that that kind of Viking mentality, right? Yeah, that's kind of what what it is. I no, I I. I get that. And and something too you touched on, which was I and again, I had a much calmer experience. Much calmer. I worked I, I worked in an air conditioned combat support hospital. Right. I was okay. but and I'm not trying to put myself down or anything. I just I've known a lot of guys at the same level of experience I am who try to make themselves sound like what you guys did. I've never so, understood why the fuck why they do that. Like why lie about what you why pretend you did something that you know good and damn well you didn't do? I think they're insecure because they feel like like they didn't save Private Ryan, so it wasn't good enough or something. Well, then but... do this. Do do us all a favor, then. then <laughs> if you're still of recruiting age, go down to the recruiting office and go do it now. Like, I, you know, I don't mind being the guy... Duty. Like I, I don't I don't mind being the guy that gives Private Ryan his yearly physical. That's fine, right? I was on the team, you know. But um, dude, no. everyone does their role, man. There's no yeah. There's no, it's like humility, dude. Is like uh, such a an awesome medicine to live with. You know what I'm saying? If you can like, so like, hopefully, guys, stop doing that. If anyone is listening, that's just wearing combat patches and you didn't really get one, can you just kindly take it off? 
<laughs> yeah, like, like is, you know, like play Call of Duty and your combat yeah. badges there. They sell badges and shit. Yeah, you can. It's a ninety-nine cent loot crate thing. Um, but no, to to touch back on something you had talked about, I remember when I was home when I got back from downrange myself, and I want to say twenty ten, and I'm talking to my father, and I'm. I was telling him how I felt like I needed to go back, like there was more work to do, like there were more lives to save in the hospital and all that. And he told me something that was pretty, it's pretty important, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that kind of shaped me for a little bit. Yep. And this doesn't apply to everybody, but because, you know, I, as a medic, kind of your whole thing was, you know, oh, I, I, you're always on. And as you go throughout your day, you're kind of always on right like you're like i operated like i was everyone's doc yeah. right random people on the street like if i was talking to you and you had a you know like a like a brain damage look in your face or whatever i'd be like hey bud how you doing and my dad said to me uh you are not irreplaceable and there's fifteen thousand guys just like you but i think he was I yeah. love the guy. I think he was just trying to talk me into coming home. Is what it was. Of course. I I think that's what it was too, a little bit. But also, I understand missing it. I understand wanting to go back. But I also understand what he was saying. Like, and there was that expression that a lot of the old timers would tell me. The old timers are probably my age now. But uh, that there's life after the army. Yes. And I and I remember. When I was, because I was a supply clerk before I was a medic, and I remember being a 20-year-old supply clerk, and I'm working in an office, and there's a guy who on Friday was an E7, but on Monday was in civilian clothes, right? Right. And so he transitioned straight into a GS job. And I'm like, oh, oh, I could just do that. Yeah. <laughs> that seems kind of, and that's kind of, I, 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 I have a government job now. I won't go into too crazy in details, yeah. but... I'm like, oh, I'll just do that. And and that was kind of my plan at age 20. And then when in my 30s, that's what I did. Uh, and, but And kudos to you, man. You know, like, yeah. you know, veterans need to continue to empower themselves. We need to keep empowering each other. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there really isn't that, you know, cookie cutter like plan for us when we get out. And so that's kind of what you know, now, right, in 2023 is, is really taking that warrior ethos yeah. you know, and turning it into a business acumen, right? Turn it into, you know, creation and, and projects and programs that, you know, can benefit our own community, you know, that can make impact in your own local community. Um, that while we are afflicted, right, we're the walking wounded. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can't still be enabled um, to, to do great things. So, you know, I'm happy to hear that, you know, you, you have, you know, that plan in motion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it took me, it, I had to do college first and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Did you, so when you got out, what did you do when you got out, man? Like, to, yeah, to, let, so, let's bring it back to your story. Yeah, dude. So, um, interesting time so i got home um you know january 2005 i went back home to upstate new york to amsterdam to um to my mom's you know i could have stayed in germany could have you know made a lot of different moves but you know for me it was like you know let me go back 
you know, my brother, I, I missed, you know, some critical time in his life, right, that he was now like 12, you know what I'm saying, that, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, make sure that I could be there for my mom. Sure. And so I found uh, employment right away, shout out to Walmart. Um, <laughs> I applied for a job at a Walmart distribution center in Johnstown, New York, that was looking for, a, you know, a order filler to work um full time between friday saturday and sunday um 4 30 a.m start and usually finish around seven o'clock eight o'clock at night to be back jesus christ so what was you know interesting that i was very reserved introverted i stayed inside for like eight months um i didn't want to talk to nobody my childhood best friends like I, I had this group of guys i grew up with up there um we're like the kids from the sandlot they'd come sure. get me to come play baseball like hey jose and i was just suffering right in silence i i didn't understand what the fuck was wrong with me um you know i ended up going to the va and they're like here take these the transition right? right i'm sleepwalking i'm a hot mess but <laughs> the one thing that you know i could focus on was uh work right because we have a strong work ethic right from mm-hmm. from army especially if, like your artillery right you know your labor is what you do and mm. so <clears throat> um i i did uh that for some time um you know and was successful i had great support uh within management i was working i by sunday you know weeks end quote unquote is 30 36 38 hours done by the weekend's end um sure. that i was always kind of like um and my family, right? So my family's from Puerto Rico. My entire family mm-hmm. from this small town called Yauco. And my family's farm is about 3,000 feet up in the mountains. The clouds are below, like, where my fa- where I'm from. My family's from. That's my crazy. Parents, my parents had an opportunity to, to have me born here in the United States in New York City, right? Because my dad's sister lived there. And so they said, hey, we'll leave the mountain type thing. <laughs> and, and, and instead of him kind of being born here and, and, and we want to see if he can have an opportunity in America. So my, my mom learned English watching television. Sure. Right? Uh, I, I, I watched my parents like go through struggles um, and always appreciated like my family is very humble like my, my grandparents we, my grandfather was you know indigenous right more taino indian sure you know and so i grew up yes in in new york but then my summers and my time with my family um on the farm up there you know taught me you know what really mattered and so i always wanted to get to a point where i could take care of my family plant roots here in america and 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 kind of pay my parents back sure and, of and and be a contributing member of, of this country and and right that you know while i was in jail at 12 years old for robbing houses right and i'm pro- I, I was a savage as a adolescent um grew so up on the, the army, street the army made a lot of sense for you it, it, it was really what had to happen that because I failed 11th grade, I failed, you know, 11th grade and graduated a year late that I knew, like all my friends were getting locked up. They were doing all these things that, you know, by me having been put on probation for three years until I was 16, 
16 and a half. I didn't have room. And I could not let the teachers that were talking shit saying I would be a loser. My stepfather told me I'd be nobody. Like all these people, you're never going to be anything. My mom was always like, yes, he will be. But it's like, you know what, Jose? I'm going to prove all these motherfuckers wrong. I'm going to join the military. Yeah. Which is like the last thing anybody, <laughs> anybody. So what is that, that I was going to do this, not to prove any of them wrong, but to prove it to myself. Sure. Then that's what drives me today. Never count out that person, right? Yeah. That, that is struggling or that's going through things, right? That there's always an opportunity to, for growth. And so I got into real estate when I came home because uh, there was a community college that I would drive by, FMCC, and they were offering real estate school at night. So I went to real estate school at night, Monday through Thursday, and then I worked the weekends at Walmart. That once I, I graduated, got my state license, I became a realtor. I then was doing real estate full time Monday through Thursday, <laughs> working for Walmart. So I was white collar Monday through Thursday, savage blue collar, you know, labor <laughs> man on the weekend, right? Suit and tie, right? But that was my sanity because I felt like I was producing fruits for my family, my mom. That that while I wanted, I was suicidal. I was depressed. Sure. When I was not at the office, right? When I was not at work. Um, you know, that in 2007, there was an inflection point. Um, my, my mom, uh, had an aneurysm right in front of me and almost died. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, she had a really, really bad headache and she had always had kind of health issues. And this one particular day in the summer of 07, real estate was going to shit. I still had my job at Walmart. Um, but I could see that what I thought could be the way for me to be able to really kind of, you know, get us kind of quote unquote out the mud, right. And get my family up, yeah. you know, that I was really the, I'm the family kind of earner, right. That they're my parents. I love them. God bless them. Right. My mom, you know, I'm one generation from farm, like little indigenous stuff. Right. So my, my like road home post combat was driven by, I have to be able to perform and work to provide because the second I stop and take a look at what's really wrong with me, yeah, it's all bad. And so when um, the day that this thing happened with my mom, yeah, you know, and and she's the one person she's been my god in light my whole life, man. God bless her. She just turned sixty three, you know, and um, you know, I didn't come home after I. Uh, left basic training and I went to Germany I deployed I never came back home so the chances of me dying downrange and them having not seen me ever again yeah. was very high so like she lost like 40 pounds she couldn't eat she didn't eat for like almost 6 months because she knew oh, I was hungry and we were hungry she couldn't drink water because she knew we were thirsty that um, you know I always kind of when I came home was like I gotta take care of mom and so when yeah. I got her to the hospital and the doctor was, he called me out of the room and she was kind of just laying on the table. He got her sedated because she, she had a savage headache, but she had, the doctor was like, I need you to, to look at me. Don't look at your mom and understand what I'm about to tell you. Your mother's bleeding in her brain and she could die right now at any moment. There's nothing we can do. 
And I remember him saying that. And I, I broke and I looked at her. I still, I looked away. And she was looking at me like smiling, kind of just holding her head because she got some meds. Sure. As if like there really was nothing wrong. And I'm looking at him. And then it, I kind of realized what he's like, we got to get her to Albany Med, but you need to process that this is grave. And yeah. had you not brought her here. And, and so this is, so when that happened, um, you know, it, it fucked me up got down to the hospital and by the grace of God the bleeding stopped on its own yeah um, like I coagulated there they got some like injected some ink and like it was just this nightmare and so I had an opportunity Walmart um, had a transfer program to Florida uh, to Winter Haven sure and I, I, you know, at the time, you know, I had a, you know, a girlfriend that was out here, you know, in Florida that was like, hey, you know, relocate out here. There's more opportunity for you. Um, and Walmart, you know, maybe they'll give you the transfer. And rumor was that Walmart, no one ever got the transfer to Florida. Everyone wanted to go to Florida. Yeah. But, you know, but I'm like, dude, I'm going to put in for it. But when my mom got sick, I was like, there's no way I'm going to leave my mom. Yeah. You know, so as she rehabbed, you know, and got better, um, doctor was like, look, you know, she just can't really be under a lot of stress. And I was like, mom, you know, I have this opportunity possibly to go out to Florida and, and like do something out there to maybe get us ahead. And maybe one day we can reunite. Yeah. Where my mom lives with me right now, to, right here in Florida. Like she's here with me. You know, and, and my my home, my family, and stuff, and, and she's, she's still okay. with us. Yes, got got. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's an amazing story, you know. Oh. But for you to understand my walk today, you know, for me to have been able to provide the impact segments that I do have, yeah. I have had in Florida, were because when I went to my mom, she told me dead in my eyes. She's like, you know, son, every time you know i need you here for me but there always comes a time when the birds gotta leave the nest man you know yeah. you're, you're 24 years old you went to war you've taken care of me you know and if that's what god has for you and and you have an opportunity i'm gonna be okay you know and um i prayed about it and i went to walmart the next day and I went to HR and the HR lady was like, you're not going to get this or something like that. And everyone had such a shitty attitude because this is a small town, right? Yeah. Like, you're never going to get out of here. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And so like, I, what I, makes you think you're good enough to leave? I'm not good enough. Why are you? And there's That's nothing of- wrong, right? Like if you want, like, bro, I, I have a lot of friends and family like up there. Like it's cool. It's but, okay like, if you stay in your hometown. Yeah, but like for me and my my plan, right? That I had to be able to take care of stuff. I needed to kind of go, and so yeah. I put in for it. And uh, you know, within like 24, 48 hours, they were like, "Jose, you know, uh, you've been granted." Because I always kept my numbers high, man. I, I just did my I did my job. If you just <laughs> do your job, there's no problems. So it's amazing if you work hard, they treat you well. <laughs> right? If you just like, right? Like, just do your shit, right? And so. <laughs> And so um, what I didn't calculate, though, man, was I didn't know how far Orlando was from Winter Haven. So when I came down here, yeah, I got the transfer, but it was an hour and 25 minute drive to and from every day. 
And they were like, well, we're going to reduce your pay by about four and a half dollars an hour. Um, and then you're actually not going to get overtime down here because it's slow as hell. <laughs> and you won't even get 40 hours a week. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, great, great. So I'm already <laughs> out here. So in that time, um, an insurance uh, company, a notorious one named AIG, yeah. this is 2007, was looking for a specific skill set of, um, you know, uh, insurance professional. They're sure. looking for bilingual uh, property casualty folks to fill their uh, Latin, Latin division, right? To fill yeah. their book of business. They, they wanted to grow that, um, you know, and they were also willing to license and pay for state licensing for the right candidates. Yeah. So in real life at that time, I have my army time my you know like year in change in real estate that was successful but mildly because of the market sure my time at walmart and i'm going to this fortune 100 company <laughs> with this resume i'll never forget you know tim and, and mitch yeah i won't mention their last names but we're, we're good friends to this day they give me the interview and they're like well we see your real estate we see you work you know labor as an order fill in walmart but you know, how does that translate into car insurance and property <laughs> and casualty insurance? Like, how would you? And I was like, well, I got this special, you know, skill set, these battlefield tactics, right? That if you're <laughs> able to, under battlefield pressure, still perform <laughs> like this beautiful symphony, like you find comfort in chaos, right? When shit is blowing up, it's actually like great, right? <laughs> It was just like that's where you you you, you play your instruments, right? And that's my saw or my fifty or my whatever. So anyway, exactly. Then I'm like, look at guys. While it may not make sense on paper, if you roll the dice, I will be your top producer one day. Sure. I, I will be honorable. You guys are paying for the license. I I know, right? Because if you master soldiering, right? If if you can understand, you know task orders and and complex complexity in those scenarios and then all of a sudden you're out of the battlefield and what your target is to sell insurance policies <laughs> right and have good relationships with clientele and right well no one's shooting at me not blowing <laughs> shit up right uh that what ended up happening uh, they hired me november 5th 2007 mm -hmm. and was with AIG, was, um, you know, uh, slowly, you know, successful in the beginning. And then they talk about one day I get to work, uh, 8 a.m. And uh, my manager's staring at the television and he's like, oh, we look at that. And I look up and it says AIG files for bankruptcy. <laughs> and I look at my, I look at my badge and I'm like, well, AIG and like I look at the television <laughs> and my my sales manager stare he's not saying nothing <laughs> and he just walks away Dude, <laughs> and then I was with them during this whole bailout the this whole corporate whirlwind of stuff we were like like not our division specifically <laughs> <laughs> but it was like the gallows because you see me, these mass layoffs, oh. which to me were like mass executions. They would just tap you on your shoulder and you were gone. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. 
right? Like that I'm I'm learning the corporate world that has zero fucking fucks and mercy, right? Like what's this? <laughs> these guys had offices in London and were having stag parties with midgets. And <laughs> what the fuck? Like, right? That that's what that's this why this financial crisis happened. There's there's these hor- these these guys were using these billion dollar companies were funding these like extravagant business retreats right and and it caused a global meltdown right you look at enron you look at all this and so during... wait go back to the stag parties with midgets in london what well I, well like that's how like in my mind it translated to me right because you know you're reading the press articles and like well they oh. were having these you know kind of insinuating so I... to the horror where the money was really being spent <laughs> I, I got a similar story. I got a friend and they worked with me in the government for a little bit. You know, and I sent them this article uh, of the IRS from 2013 when they got busted uh-huh. having elaborate, elaborite hotel parties with like strippers yeah. and hookers in Vegas yeah. and going gambling. All under the guide. This is yeah. public record, by the way. Yeah. I'm not telling stories out of school. This has made the news. This is real all shit. Yeah. This is real shit, man. This is all under the guise of like training events and conferences. Yeah. And, like yeah. they had a they had a complete replica of the Starship Enterprise bridge, and they all wore Star Trek costumes and they shot training videos dressed as fucking Captain Kirk. Like, see, okay. So, so like we're aware, right, of these yeah. existences, and so like we've had a first-person view of a lot of things. So like yeah. my time in corporate America, you know, and and especially with AIG through that, what ended up happening was they sold our division to yeah. fa- Farmers Insurance. Bum 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 bum. Yeah. Right. So I, I worked for Farmers in the end, and uh, in 2011 or 2010, um, from 2010 to 2017, I was you know, within the 1% in the United States as, you know, one of the uh, highest producers in gross written premium and uh, corporate insurance, you know, for, for farmers. Okay. Um, I, you know, was a multi-million dollar producer for them. Um, you know, was making six figures, earnest income, earned it all 60 hours a week, all my work, my quality, my adherence, you know, that I took that as an opportunity to mentor a lot of, you know, uh, agents that couldn't make even, you know, a couple dollars that I'd come in on my days off. I, I helped the company understand communications, right, that I was silently suffering with PTSD. I almost took my life um, at the height of what was I was paying my mom's rent. I got her a beautiful yeah. little townhouse. I yeah. was, if I if my family needed, you know, help in Puerto Rico, I could all my friends here, birthdays. I, I, I was, I was like my, my ability to produce for my company. So honestly, I took care of my clients that <clears throat> when I left the office or when I was working from home, sure. when it was just time with Jose, yeah, you know, my family, I, my wife had no idea at the time who she married, right? She didn't, I didn't talk to anyone like, about my service you know i'm working at you know this you know insurance company and they have no idea yeah that i have this story that i'm dealing with ptsd i'm dealing with anxiety i'm being triggered constantly 
yeah. right? Um, I'm actually half asleep walking into work because of the nightmares I have, but I'm still able to, to produce, right? Yeah. That, you know, I was able to, you know, use the VA home loan that we earned, right? To buy my first home, you know, uh, have an amazing wife. My daughter was born, like all these amazing things. And I almost fucking shot myself at the height of all of it because I could not get over the guilt of Stuart Moore being killed on 22 December 03 while we were downrange with our captain and an opt that I was to be on with them. The image of that girl dying, carrying her, looking at my hands, you know, knowing as, as a unit, as an individual, you know, we'll never know our body count. Yeah. Knowing that they're, they're, when you, when, when you send someone to the other side, you know, it's not sexy per se. Right. It's not, it's not a, it's not a Stallone movie. It, it, right. That, that, a, that a quiet professional knows and those who were there yeah. know and that that is, is, is ingrained in your fucking soul. Right. And, but there was this duality, right. That I was this successful, this, uh, you know, wow, he's helping so many people. But at the end of the day, I would lay in bed with my six hour loaded with a round in the chamber with my newborn daughter. Yeah, sleeping in between me and my wife, saying "blow your brains out right here, do it, yeah. just do it, man," right? Like all these horrible things, like the meds weren't working, like. But I'm still successful, right? I'm still at the office producing. That that I, all, huh? I, and and again, my I and I, I never want to. I've been thinking. Of, that's a common story I hear from men of our generation, right? Yeah. I, I, the idea that who you are is determined by what you can, your own, that your only value as a human, as a man, is based on what you can produce for others. Right. I would, and I'm, and I'm sure. You know, I'm, I'm preaching in the choir here. It took me a long time to figure that out, right? I had to do a shitload of therapy mm-hmm. and, and and make peace with a lot of monsters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I would say, and it's hard for, for men in our generation to realize that you're more you're worth more than what you bring to the party, right? What you bring to the now that doesn't mean you don't bring something to the party bring stuff to the party produce for the family make the six figures get the corner office whatever but also you as a person have an inherent value from the lord in you know it's it's in my christian faith says that god loves us all and, and and cares about us and and while yes as men we're here to provide and protect but also if and you found this and I'm so glad that your story had a happy ending. But if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. But and I'm sorry I, I interrupted you when you're saying something. No, th- this is beautiful because <clears throat> I don't speak of of my faith. Uh, you know, I'm Christian as well. Um, no. I've always been very guarding of it. Um, no. I think it's very uh, special, right? Um, but I, I am open about my conviction and that yeah. I will always say that 
it was the Lord uh, that was with me, right, in those two weeks, right, um, that I decided to, the decision to to get out yeah. came <clears throat> by virtue of so many different circumstances that I would pray, right, and, and these things would happen, yeah. <clears throat> that I would sometimes say, Lord, where are you in, in this place, right, of death, right, death everywhere. Yeah. And yet yeah, he would manifest, right, in different scenarios. And so <clears throat> I'll tell you this. When the decision for me to leave came about because I was waiting to call my mother on a satellite phone. Yeah. And each, you know, soldier got about 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, it was, it was a beautiful sunny afternoon. And I said, okay, Lord turn 21 turn 22 we've already extended yeah don't know when we're going home yet i've already survived these scenarios that if i do come back here if, if you let me live and i come back perhaps right i'm tempting fate and then i i made a promise to god and i said lord i'm gonna get out of the army and i will do two things in this life I promise you, I will work in any career that I have and be the best and work until my hands bleed and I will do good in this life. Yeah. So never <clears throat> underestimate, you know, the importance of sharing that truth too. And I appreciate you bringing it up kind of in closing. Yeah. Um, because... Yes, I can credit family, friends, right? Have a, a solid support system. You know, I exercise, eat clean. But sure. being closer to God and in my faith has been really the, the biggest saving grace into who I am tonight in this podcast with you, right? That it's it's a long walk for all of us. Yeah. Right, but the religion, like Jesus, wasn't religion, right? It's yeah. it's just having that spirituality, man. So, as a fellow Can Christian, I, you know, thank you for sharing. It was my pleasure. Can I ask you one more favor? Of course. Before I go? Yeah. A long time ago, uh, I was Sergeant Lester, right? Got it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the pleasure of. Uh, kind of helping the new kids kind of acclimate to uh, the unit, right? Yes. And I mean, like mentoring them, making sure that they, you know, watching out from that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Just being a good, like, NCO, just trying to make sure, you know, they did what they were supposed to do. And one of the kids that I mentored years and years ago uh, is a NCO himself now. And he's no longer a medic. He's in artillery. And from what I understand, he's downrange now. And so I, I I don't know where exactly. I don't want to say exactly where. But um, if you have any advice for the kid, what would you say? For those kids that are there now. But, uh, you know, it's so crazy how our, our parallels, you know, are so, you know, like... What you just explained to me means a lot because... Yeah when we redeployed back to the unit there was yeah. a new wave of soldiers that were about to go out downrange yeah. and I had a few months left at the unit 
And yeah. so I was selected to be the the saw instructor. Okay. And the uh, two or three um, instructor, right? Yeah. And there was, you know, these eighteen year old, nineteen year old kids. They were about to go, where we just redeployed from. Yeah. And there was one in particular Puerto Rican kid from New York City that. He was a saw gunner. He was selected as a saw gunner, right? That I saw myself, right? When I, it was time for me to deploy, but I didn't have a blend, right? Yeah. That I took them all under my wing, but this kid in particular always would come and spend more time and seek knowledge and wisdom. Sure. And, you know, they left, you know, I, I left the United ETS and a few years ago, I got a message and I was going through a really hard time. Sure. Uh, and it was from this name, you know, that I hadn't seen in a long time. And he says, oh my God, I found you. I, I can't, you know, believe this. I just want you to know that, you know, he was the E6. Yeah. Uh, he got the E6. Uh, he had retired, but that he had, you know, four deployments under his belt purple heart oh he did um, the damn thing he and he was like you need to know that i am who i am today you molded me into the warrior i became and everything that you taught me kept me alive down there and that the success i had was because you took the and, and i cried so hard because and that, said, don't don't ever doubt for a second that you, you know, matter and you made a difference in someone's life. So to any of the soldiers out there downrange now, it's very simple. You know, you signed up for it and you have an obligation to fulfill. And, and this is where faith comes in for me. The second we crossed in to combat, I looked to the sky and I said to the Lord, and if it is your will today to take me, just don't let me suffer. I will go at your calling that be honorable in all your tasks, be fearless in what is asked of you. Many times, you know, it was asked for us to volunteer to go above and beyond. And it's okay to go above and beyond. Don't be a fucking hero. You know, but, you know, if, if you're in a position, you know, that, uh, you have to do heavy work. You have to endure it, embrace it. And I thank the Lord every sunrise I was able to see. I said, Lord, thank you for letting me see this sunrise. And <clears throat> when night would come, I'd say, Lord, thank you for letting me see this night. Because it was not guaranteed, right? That <clears throat> I walk with a, a, a grace that I applaud anyone <clears throat> in harm's way. I applaud anyone who stands for righteousness, you know, and for, for honor that if you see injustices happening, that you stand and be the one to call out what is wrong and, and be honorable and humble. That's my advice.
stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read?